This is American Origin Stories. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. So much of our media, whether streaming over our phones in internet formats or over our televisions, takes advantage of our collective media illiteracy. The big media monopolies have a huge advantage over us. They've positioned their portals, beckoning us into their matrix almost everywhere. They're hanging on our walls. They're sitting on our desks. They're in the pockets of our pants and our bags. Most often, we're just nonchalantly holding them in our hands. This matrix is literally designed to manipulate our feelings, to change our behaviors, and every aspect of our lives. They're so brilliant at it. They've even tricked us into creating the bait we call it content, to lure us in. So this episode is meant to act like a secret decoder ring, to demystify a world of programming, as in computer programming, and programming as in programming human behavior. To master this matrix, we need to battle a kind of Frankenstein's monster whose parts have captured and are reflecting every aspect of our society, the good, the bad, and the terrible. This monster metaphor is not hyperbole. When you have the most sophisticated communications technology in recorded history, sold to the highest bidder, and the prime directive of this mechanized octopus with ever-expanding reach into our lives is to control our behavior for selfish reasons. This is weapons-grade technology we're up against. So we had better equip ourselves accordingly. And so in this episode of American Origin Stories, Mastering the Matrix, otherwise known as Defeating Frankenstein's Monster, to mix a few metaphors, is a follow-up to episode four, Should Society Own Its Social Media? And you can listen to whichever episode in either order. But before we can own our social media as a society, 
We need a powerful understanding of it as individuals. So the purpose of today's quest, let's call it, is not to scare us into fearing Frankenstein's social media monster, but the opposite, to empower us so that we can better use this technology as a tool, which is its rightful place in relationship to humanity, rather than allowing this tool to use us and put our humanity in service to materialistic values. So we'll start with a very brief overview of social media's structure and its effects. And we'll give ourselves some context. We'll compare it to reading and audiobooks and podcasts. And then we'll jump into the deep end and do a crash course in how media technology extends and changes the nature of what it means to be a human being. Our guide will be the OG communication theorist, Marshall McLuhan, who wrote the famous and rarely understood phrase, the medium is the message. Marshall McLuhan is gonna help us do an autopsy on this Frankenstein's monster until we really understand what the medium is the message means. And once we do, that's gonna start giving us a leg up. Then we're gonna examine some very public examples of why billionaire-owned social media monopolies without any guide rails are a public health hazard and what it means to have unregulated secret algorithms rewarding essentially the worst aspects of human behavior. And then we'll take a glimpse at greener pastures, what it looks like if we were to break up the monopolies and nationalize social media. And to continue getting some fresh air, we'll review one of the most brilliant modern scholars on mediation and what the medium of media communicates directly into our psyches and how to identify those subconscious effects. For some levity, we'll turn to Bo Burnham, whose comedy skewers the digital realms. And then, ready to face the monster directly, we'll go ahead and call out the beast for what it is and reclaim our humanity victorious. And now, with the quest set before us, we begin in social media land, a maze of digital wonders. And with all that flash and glitz and shouting and parading, we almost immediately lose sight of the maze itself. We're unaware of how constrained we are in closed formats that don't allow us customization by the user, all the strict controls over architecture, which make it impossible for us to modify our own devices, things we own, and the invisible rules about algorithms, how content is seen, how it's shared, to whom, why, with almost no accountability or transparency to anybody and how normal it's become to have every corner of our interactions inundated with snake oil ads and scams. It's actually a challenge if we try to use the most powerful communications tools in recorded history for nourishment. If we think about the huge websites, the big media companies as software companies, and we think of their products essentially as video games, which they basically are, social media video games, are even more convincing at keeping us online. They're better at convincing us than the little Pac-Man pellets are that we're really getting a reward. We're eating something we want. The pull and the desire to engage with it feels like it's very rewarding. Or is it? For human beings who are under two years old, babies, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends Zero screen time. No screen time at all. No iPads with the little sensory videos. No screens. Why? 
Well, if you ever look at a baby watching TV or a phone or an iPad, it's suddenly like they've turned into a zombie. They're hypnotized. In those first 18 months, that first year and a half of life, screen viewing of any type has shown to have lasting negative effects on children's language development, on their reading skills, on short-term memory. A child will learn more from slinging applesauce across the kitchen than watching an iPad or a television. <laughs> Babies have a difficult time distinguishing between the abstract objects on a screen and the real world, and so they're basically being deprived of skills that come from real world interactions. Even having a TV on in the background with nobody actually watching it delays language development. And the more screen time per day, the greater the behavioral issues. And that continues on as the child starts to grow up. So if that's the case for little children and toddlers, how true is this for teenagers and adults? There are so many studies that have now found a strong link between heavy social media usage and an increased risk for depression and anxiety and loneliness, self-harm, even suicidal thoughts. And part of the loneliness is that we're alone when we're using it. And part of it is that self-absorption factor, conversely feeling inadequate, having FOMO. There's an unsurprising study from the University of Pennsylvania that found reducing social media usage makes us feel less lonely, less isolated, and improves our well-being. It's almost the total opposite with books. And all the great writers told us so. The brilliant author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Fantastic Mr. Fox and a ton of other great stuff, Roald Dahl, he once said, if you are going to get anywhere in life, you have to read a lot of books. Joseph Addison, English writer, said, reading is to the mind what exercise is to the body. Game of Thrones writer George R.R. R. Martin says a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Malcolm X said, my alma mater was books, a good library. I could spend the rest of my life reading, just satisfying my curiosity. Mary Oliver, the brilliant poet, says, standing within this otherness, the beauty and the mystery of the world, out in the fields or deep inside books, can re-dignify the worst stung heart. All these opinions are actually scientific facts. Reading stimulates the function of the brain not only while you're reading, but for days afterward. Reading dramatically improves your ability to focus by keeping you engaged without distraction. It increases empathy, a feeling of connection and understanding with your fellow humans, improves our mental health, educates us, obviously, hopefully, if it's a good book, reduces stress. The net effect of reducing stress is it can actually extend our lifespans. And if it's a decent book, it's pretty enjoyable. You might be thinking right now, is listening to an audiobook or a podcast cheating? No. From a science perspective, no. A Gallant Lab study showed that the same parts of the brain are activated reading or listening. But from a practical, experiential standpoint, of course, reading and listening are different. Reading is active, engages your own imagination. The other is passive. Listening also engages your own imagination. But in the passive version, there's two other elements. There's the audiobook, the podcast, however you're listening to this, and headphones and so forth. And then there's the narrator. 
Western Downs libraries did a study about listening to audiobooks and podcasts and actually found an enormous number of benefits that relate to reading. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Check out new episodes Mondays and Fridays for a wide variety of topics and news episodes. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rage on. If you listen to podcasts and audiobooks, your reading accuracy increases by 52%. It can increase your reading speed. Listening to podcasts and audiobooks expands your vocabulary, improves your fluency, teaches pronunciation, improves your reading comprehension by 76%, increases your test scores if you're in school by 21%. And a lot of people have the opposite to say about screens, phones, and television. Groucho Marx, for example, said, quote, I find television very educating. Every time somebody turns on the set, I go into the other room and I read a book. Part of what we can do to ground ourselves personally, to protect against the negative effects of the junk food media, and to also help us become better stewards as adults in regulating the media and our public policy is to become media literate, literate about the media. How meta. So there's a Canadian philosopher, very famous, named Marshall McLuhan, master of media theory. He invented the famous term, the medium is the message which is a deep one. We're going to dive into that. And he predicted the World Wide Web decades before it happened. He coined the expression global village, the idea that in the last hundred years, the whole world's become interconnected due to technological revolutions. And these revolutions affect every aspect of human life. McLuhan called advertising the greatest art form of the 20th century, but he didn't mean great in a good way. He observed that advertising was doing what religious art had done in the past, which is to use imagery and its authority to create mass desire and belief. Mass culture, advertising and marketing, with its god of materialism, was replacing religion. McLuhan gave Timothy Leary, that famous advocate of psychedelic drugs, the expression, turn on, tune in, and drop out, as a kind of satirical advertising slogan for the psychedelic movement which was rejecting the emptiness of modern culture. Andy Warhol called Marshall his honorary muse. McLuhan's also said to have originated a paraphrased expression of how everyone in the future would have and desire their 15 minutes of fame. And not for something specific, but for fame itself. McLuhan's book, Understanding Media, has an accurate title because it's a black belt masterclass on the Matrix. Here's one of its most important excerpts. Quote, the medium is the message. That is merely to say that the personal and social consequences of any medium, that is, of any extension of ourselves, result from the new scale that is introduced into our affairs by each extension of ourselves or by any new technology. End quote. That is a mouthful. But what McLuhan is saying is that every aspect of our sense of self and of our society and our society is impacted not by the content of media technologies, but by the technology itself. He goes on, quote, many people would be disposed to say 
that it was not the machine, but what one did with the machine that was its meaning or message. But in terms of the ways in which the machine altered our relations to one another and to ourselves, it mattered not in the least whether it turned out cornflakes or Cadillacs. End quote. Skipping ahead, the message of any medium or technology is the change of scale or pace or pattern that it introduces into human affairs. This is starting to make sense now, right? The railway did not introduce movement or transportation or wheel or road into human society, but it accelerated and enlarged the scale of previous human functions, creating totally new kinds of cities and new kinds of work and leisure. End quote. Now, here we're starting to get the much needed context, the responsibility we have to make sure we're not just letting personal ambition and greed and so forth be the motivation. The wise society would steer us toward responsible stewardship of species altering technological advancements. McLuhan goes on to talk about the radio and television pioneer David Sarnoff, he was known as the general, who ruled a massive telecom empire. That included RCA and NBC from the 1920s all the way into the 1960s. General Sarnoff had a rule named after him, Sarnoff's Law, which states that, quote, the value of a broadcast network is proportional to the number of viewers. It sounds kind of obvious, but there might need to be a few more criteria to the value of something. So here's McLuhan, quote, in accepting an honorary degree from the University of Notre Dame a few years ago, General David Sarnoff made this statement. We are too prone to make technological instruments the scapegoats for the sins of those who wield them. The products of modern science are not in themselves good or bad. It's the way they are used that determines value. End quote. Well, McLuhan responds, That is the voice of the current somnambulism. Somnambulism is a great word, which means sleepwalking. McLuhan explains, quote, suppose we were to say apple pie is in itself neither good nor bad. It's the way it is used that determines its value. Or the smallpox virus is in itself neither good nor bad. It is the way it's used that determines its value. Again, quote, firearms are in themselves neither good nor bad. It is the way that they are used that determines their value. That is, if the slugs reach the right people, firearms are good. If the TV tube fires the right ammunition at the right people, it is good. I am not being perverse. There is simply nothing in the Sarnoff statement that will bear scrutiny, for it ignores the nature of the medium of any and all media in the true narcissist style of one hypnotized by the amputation and extension of his own being in a new technical form. General Sarnoff went on to explain his attitude to the technology of print, saying it was true that print caused much trash to circulate, but it had also disseminated the Bible and the thoughts of seers and philosophers. It has never occurred to General Sarnoff that any technology could do anything but add itself on to what we already are, end quote. McLuhan is telling us that technology doesn't just naturally add on to what we are, but changes what we are completely. He quotes Napoleon, who said, quote, three hostile newspapers are more to be feared than a thousand bayonets. And then McLuhan talks about the greater force of media powered by electricity. Quote, it is electric speed 
that has revealed the lines of force operating from Western technology into the remotest areas of bush, savanna, and desert. One example is the Bedouin, with his battery radio on board the camel, Submerging natives with floods of concepts for which nothing has prepared them is the normal action of all our technology. But with electric media, Western man himself experiences exactly the same inundation as the remote native. We are no more prepared to encounter radio and TV in our literate milieu than the native of Ghana is able to cope with the literacy that takes him out of his collective tribal world and beaches him in individual isolation. We are as numb in our new electric world as the native involved in our literate and mechanical culture. Electric speed mingles the cultures of prehistory with the dregs of industrial marketeers, the non-literate with the semi-literate with the post-literate. Mental breakdown of varying degrees is the very common result of uprooting and inundation with new information and endless new patterns of information, end quote. It's a lot to dissect. McLuhan wrote that in 1964. The internet would not be born for another 20 years. We can't imagine what he might say now. And this is on top of the content itself. Salon covered a story in November of 2022 about how social media basically got people killed during the public health crisis of our time. Saying, quote, people who consume a lot of news on social media are more likely to be skeptical of vaccines, for example, and also are more hesitant about getting vaccinated, according to newly published research. But we found that social media users with higher levels of news literacy have more confidence in getting vaccine shots. A 2021 report by Pew Research Center found about half of Americans relied on social media for news about COVID-19. As a result, social media users were exposed to misinformation about the coronavirus. At the same time, skepticism of scientists and public health institutions related to COVID-19 was on the rise. Health misinformation on social media led people to develop false beliefs about public health interventions, such as one of the greatest scientific discoveries of all time, vaccines. And despite the mass availability of vaccines in the U.S., only half the population completed the primary series and got a booster shot as of October of 2022. A March 2022 study by the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention found unvaccinated people were 12 times more likely to be hospitalized than those who were vaccinated. And that's just one major example. Over a million Americans died from COVID-19. More people died in the United States of America at far higher rates than people in other wealthy nations. 63% higher death rate in the United States. The major cause, failure to vaccinate. the USA has the highest rates of unvaccinated people out of any wealthy nation. There's also other factors. The context of massive misinformation, which in turn leads to poor public policies. So that's the message. Now back to the medium is the message. One big issue here, of course, is the lack of rules governing algorithms. Negative information tends to get more eyeballs. It's more sticky. That is how we are wired. But the way media companies design their products to exploit that is another matter entirely. 
Amanda Marcotte, in her Salon essay, argues for nationalizing Twitter in particular. And she writes, quote, Profit motive fuels the worst parts of Twitter. What if it didn't? There's a whole subcategory of people who aren't frauds, but whose business model is parasitic. Some are fairly harmless. Others are more sinister. Twitter, like all social media companies, makes more money if its users are addicted. Unfortunately, the cocaine button we rats are pressing all day is one that dispenses outrage, conflict, and self-righteousness. It's hurting people's mental health and ability to handle ambiguity and nuance. End quote. Okay. But let's keep backing out again to the medium is the message. One of the best scholars out there on the effects of mediation is Thomas Dezengotita, author, contributing editor at Harper's PhD in anthropology, wrote a book in 2005, one of my favorite books called Mediated, How the Media Shapes Your World and the Way You Live in It. Here's one of my favorite passages. Quote, say your car breaks down in the middle of nowhere, the middle of Saskatchewan, say. You have no radio, no cell phone, nothing to read, no gear to fiddle with. You just have to wait. Pretty soon you notice how everything around you just happens to be there. And it just happens to be there in this very precise but unfamiliar way. You are so not used to this. Every tuft of weed, the scattered pebbles, the lapsing fence, cracks in the asphalt, the buzz of insects in the field, the flow of cloud against the sky. Everything is very specifically exactly the way it is, and none of it is here for you. What it teaches us is this. In the mediated world, the opposite of real isn't phony or illusional or fictional. It's optional. Idiomatically, we recognize this when we say the reality is, meaning something that has to be dealt with, something that isn't an option. An environment of representations yields an aura of surface, as in surf. It is a world of effects. It is another existential consequence of the fact that representations address us by design. We are at the center of all the attention, but there is a thinness to things, a smoothness, a muffled quality. It's all insulational, as if the deities of DreamWorks were laboring invisibly around us, touching up the canvas of reality with digital airbrushes. Everything has the edgeless, flowing feeling of computer graphics, like the lobby of a high-end Marriott, Ramada, Sheridan. The sculptured flower arrangements, that glowy, woody, marbly, purpley, cushioned air quality. Every gadget aspires to that iPod look, even automobiles. The feel of the virtual is overflowing the screens, as if the plasma were leaking into the physical world. Whole neighborhoods feel like that now, even when you're standing in the street. We need mobility among the options because they are only representations. And that means they are no more than they appear to be. And so they are never enough. End quote. The writer and filmmaker and comedian Bo Burnham's comedy specials, particularly the most recent one, Inside, is so brilliant at satirizing the nature and effects of mediation, almost all of his work does it. It's a performance of representation of self-obsession. He says about the mediums, 
and I'm paraphrasing somewhat. He says, they're coming for every second of your life, these companies like Twitter and YouTube and Instagram. They went public, so their entire models are based off of growth. It has to get more of you. Burnham says, quote, we used to colonize land until there was no other place for capitalism to expand into. Then he goes on to say, they're now trying to colonize every minute of your life. Every free moment is a moment. They could be gathering information to target ads at you. And you know it. The kids know it. The whole joke on the internet is everyone's like, this place sucks, right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. That's why their memes are all ironic and detached and self-referential and 12 layers deep, because the truth is completely dead to them and they know it. They look at the president. He said this during a year where our president was a reality show star. And the kids look at the culture and they go, what the hell is this? Bo Burnham's the perfect artist for encapsulating the medium as the message because as he says it, quote, comedy is the one absolutely self-aware art form. Actually, hip hop's another one, I suppose, because you're in your songs talking about how good a hip hop artist you are. It's like a painter painting a painting of himself painting a painting, end quote. The postmodernists have this term called simulacrum, a copy of a copy of a copy. This sadness Burnham is sharing and representing, oftentimes in a funny way, is the emptiness of the medium, which is also the message, emptiness. To entertain comes from the word engage, which means to hold. When we seek being held by a thing, an electric thing, or a projection within it, that in itself is an inescapable reality. Our consciousness becomes like a genie trapped in a bottle, a bottle whose environment is designed to induce constant seeking without ever satisfying, which by some traditions is the definition of hell. The medium is the message. Having awareness of this, taking responsibility for it personally and publicly is a worthy antidote. And with that, I'm shutting off this broadcast. Until next week. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales.